Hi, I'm Hayden, and welcome to Skillpoint, the podcast on a mission to level up the recruitment marketing industry. We dig deep into insights, tactics, successes, and failures from leading experts in and outside of the industry. So what are you waiting for? Let's get going. So welcome to the Skillpoint podcast. Um, really looking forward to this one. I've got the uh, the OG recruitment podcaster, Hisham Azuz, uh, founder of the Recruitment Mentors and host of the Recruitment Mentors podcast. Uh, I don't think he really needs much of an introduction. I'm pretty sure everyone knows him. Um, but just for just for sake, um, we'll get you to introduce yourself properly and tell us about your journey and, and sort of where you're going. But first, I wanted to talk about... Um, this post that you put out on LinkedIn yesterday, and it just really caught my attention and I wanted to dig into it a little bit more. Um, so you had a little um, little bit of info about the negative reputation in the recruitment industry and conversations you have with recruiters and professionals in the recruitment industry talk about how they, they hate recruitment. Um, and I definitely feel um that sentiment sometimes when i'm talking to people and it and it and it's you can't be around the bush there is a negative reputation in recruitment but what what do you think professionals in the recruitment industry can do to help mend that reputation yeah so the post was all about i don't sometimes i don't like i get it and understand but it sort of comes to my answer is I don't think we gain very much as an industry by having people in our industry saying, I'm a recruiter, but I hate all other recruiters and I hate the recruitment industry. So to answer that question, and it's sort of what I was alluding to in in my post was, I think uh, what we can do as an industry is just collaborate a lot more Mm. rather than tear each other down and celebrate collaboration more over competition. Uh, any great recruitment business is going to be able to achieve their goals by uh, whilst also sharing and collaborating what they've learned along the way, like by sharing. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that, yeah, they're going to have money taken out of their pocket or they're going to miss opportunities. Like if, you, if you're a great recruitment business, you're a great recruiter, then uh, I don't see how collaborating, sharing uh, is going to uh, impact your performance. And I've always believed that, but... Uh, it's a it's a mindset that I think has been in the industry for a while. It was like that when I was in recruitment. Uh, my old colleagues uh, found it very strange when I started the podcast and why would you talk to other recruiters and these types of things. And for me, that's a scarcity mindset. Um, and I just don't, like if you look at any other industry, there's so much sharing that goes on and there's so much more positivity to to come out of that than there is the cons or negativity like we're talking obviously you're you're in the world of marketing like uh, i have matt and my team who are part of his role is marketing and he uh regularly attends sort of the marketing meetup uh events and they have thousands of marketeers sharing ideas sharing insights and i think if we do more collaboration more sharing then we have way more of a chance of raising the standards overall within our industry um rather than just being sort of really closed and no we do it this way and everyone else is wrong and these types of things it's why yeah i've always believed in uh networking groups like the recruitment network uh, and things like that like it's just an absolute no-brainer like one like we can all win together we can all raise each other up rather than tearing each other down so yeah don't really i understand where people coming from when it's like yeah well i i'm a recruiter but i hate recruitment i get that but i don't think that mindset and that sentiment is going to change 
the industry, which is obviously what they're trying to allude to when they say I'm a recruiter, but hate recruitment. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And yeah, the collaboration side is, is the, is the key really, isn't it? And I think it's when you say the mindset shift, um, I agree with you because then it comes from the top down. It's usually the the director or the, or the founder that, that then goes out and plays a part in something like the recruitment network or the, you know, the VP of marketing that goes and goes to the marketing meetups. Uh, and then that, that trickles down to the consultants and then that creates a more ethical business, doesn't it? Practices get better. And um, then the, you know, the candidates or the clients that are dealing with those um, consultants feel like they're getting a better experience and hopefully over time it will mature. And I definitely, I don't know if you agree with me, but I definitely think the the sentiment is changing over time. There are more of the good guys coming through and, and, and coming to the top of the top of the pile compared to how it was even like five, six years ago. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I'm probably biased because of the podcast that I do, but I think um, by delivering by delivering an exceptional service as a recruitment business, it gives you a competitive advantage. It's just the truth. Uh, sit down with loads of loads of recruitment entrepreneurs, and one of the, when I always say like, how did you approach what? Like, how was you going to approach being different? A lot of the time, it's really committing to service really committing to exceptional service at every stage of the recruitment process so that actually uh by being great and by committing to that it actually gives you a competitive advantage so for me i think over time transactional recruitment people that yeah take the just do the things that benefit them rather than uh benefits the the candidate working with or the client uh, or a very short-term mind, uh, have a very short-term mindset. I just think slowly but surely they'll uh, just will not be able to compete because hopefully more and more people would have experienced what a great recruitment service looks like. And as soon as they experience that, and then they deal with Hayden, who's transactional and just cares about themselves and is really short-sighted and sends them unrelevant stuff, he's going to go, "Hang on a minute, this recruiter is absolutely shy. Like I've had way better over here, so I'm just going to only deal with this person." So that's how I feel about it. And absolutely, uh, it's, yeah, happening over time. And I think over time, that will likely what happen. And, and that's what should happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, agree with you. Uh, service is probably one of the most key elements that needs to be improved now. I think from my marketing perspective, I think as the market gets smarter, wiser to traditional sales methods, um, referrals and word of mouth are just becoming such a strong indicator and if you're negatively impacting your reputation by producing a substandard um, solution and service offering, then you're just going to fail. You're going to fail. And the people that put the effort and the time in um, to produce that an amazing quality solution and service will, will win. But anyway, let's um, let's get you to introduce yourself properly uh, and your journey uh, to where you are now, Hisham, and what you're trying to do with Recruitment Mentors. Yeah, so let, let's keep it really short because I want to make yes. sure that what we talk about is hopefully useful for you, to your listeners. But yeah, worked in recruitment for two and a half, uh, two and a half uh, years. After that, joined uh, Sean Anderson at Hoxo Media. Uh, whilst I was at uh, in recruitment, uh, I was one of so yeah, one of the early people to sort of start creating content, building my personal brand. Like I was p- trying to post videos on LinkedIn when you weren't able to post them natively. Like I had to post to YouTube. Uh, link in a YouTube video to give you a bit of an idea. 
And I really believed in that because it had a real impact on my recruitment desk and made my life a lot easier. So when I met Sean and understood the problem they were trying to solve, um, provided marketing solutions to the recruitment industry, I just really believed in that. So I uh, took a risk, joined him as the first salesperson with him, uh, worked with them for a year and a bit, continued to build uh, the the sort of recruitment network uh, that I've now built. Uh, and then from that, after leaving them, since sort of 2019, I've been on my own sort of entrepreneurial journey and sort of organically things have just led on to one another. So started the podcast nearly five years ago. That's had a big impact. And I know we'll get into that, but that's had a big impact on the sort of decisions I've made and uh, the sort of career I've had so far. Uh, but after I left uh, Hoxha Media, I uh, went out on my own and I was selling uh, personal branding training programs to companies and individuals. So I would take people who were really, uh, yeah, fearful of sharing content, wasn't sure how to build their brand online. I would take them through a process that worked for me. So they would go from that to consistently sharing content and generating sort of opportunities inbound. Uh, and then what I realized uh, in doing that was training isn't something that a lot of recruiters actually get a lot of access to because I was speaking to companies about personal branding and, and training around that and yeah, continued to learn that there wasn't any other really sort of training going on within the business. So found that interesting. And then the real catalyst to uh, what I have uh, sort of been committed to building over the last two and a bit years at Recruitment Mentors was just before COVID 2019, we hosted a, a live podcast event. It was a ticketed event, £15 per ticket. Uh, we sold out in two days. About 70 people uh, were there, mainly recruiters. And we all got in a room to share challenges, ideas, what we've learned from the year, what can we do better next year as an industry. And uh, after that evening, I was like, you know what? There's things like the recruitment network. There's places for business owners that want to collaborate, that want to improve. Uh, there's nothing for recruiters. And I have thousands and thousands of recruiters listen to podcasts every single month. They're partnering with their own cash to come to an event surely uh, these people uh, have an appetite to learn and invest in their own uh, development. And that's when I started to build a business plan for recruitment mentors and, and it sort of evolved from there really. So really simply the sort of mission that we have as a company um, is to help thousands of recruiters maximize their potential uh, by providing the best on-demand training and development that's delivered by current top performers. So um, my real vision uh, for the company is to democratize exceptional training and development in the recruitment industry to change the perception of our industry. I think if we can make training and great training more accessible, I think that would be a great thing and, and have a real positive movement on the needle of the perception of our industry and a bunch of other great things. So that's the the short story. Amazing. Love it. Yeah. And I really, I really like uh, what you're doing and um, watching your journey. And in the growth of recruitment mentors, I think you're doing a really good thing. Um, and it's really, it's really just really cool to see. And um, I think, you know, the, what you're doing and it's, it's super simple and it's something that recruiters and business owners can do themselves for their own sectors. And I think it would be such a good um, marketing tool, not, not in recruitment, but for championing their own sector growth. Um, because from my, my perspective, and we talk to clients around this sometimes about positioning yourself a little bit more as an industry leader. Um, but recruitment has such a unique perspective in each in each respective sector. Um, they talk to so many different companies from around there and bringing that all together um, and creating 
you know, processes and, and movements like you are um, can be really strong. So I, I definitely would like to talk about some of that aspect and, and your learnings and, your, and where you've come with that um, later on, um, you know, the whole community aspect, but also the podcasting, I think. Um, podcasting is something we, we sort of champion as well. And I think we, it's quite powerful. And obviously I've started my own practice, what I preach, but uh, obviously you've been, you've been in the market for such a long time and you've been really producing just really high quality content for such a long time and had so many conversations, but that's a, it's a journey, isn't it? And from the start to where you are now, um, there's probably a lot of learning, some failures um, and some growth and, and um, some benefits that you got. So the, the main thing I want to get out of this podcast is just talking about podcasts and the benefits of it for, for anyone really. Um, and I guess the first question would be like, why, why did you decide to start the podcast? I mean, I think you touched on it briefly, but do you want to break that down into a little bit more detail? You know, it was a very early days. It wasn't, podcasts have been out for a long time, but they were never really at the adoption stage that they are now. Yeah. So uh, people probably don't know this, but I actually, what I actually started was a blog and I started when I was in recruitment. Yeah. And back, back in the days when, when blogging was, was the thing, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I started a blog and uh, yeah, it's called the recruitment rollercoaster blog. Yeah. And yeah, like I was sharing the whole idea was if I could share what I've experienced uh, the things that I've learned and that helps one person either make the right decision about joining the industry or it helps someone that's in the industry, then yeah, that sounds like a, a good thing to do. So yeah, did the blog, uh, quickly realized that, yeah, it took quite a lot of time. I was mainly writing the blogs and stuff uh, on the weekend. And then I thought what could make my life a lot easier, but still keep the content great. And it was guest blogs, guest people uh, posting on the blog. So that's actually where I met Sean. He was one of the early guest bloggers on my uh, blog. So I would provide people with a series of questions. They'd reply. I put them on the blog. So I did a bunch of those, started to build a network of recruiters. Uh, and then, yeah, I was an avid listener of podcasts, really enjoyed listening to podcasts, what's going into work. And yeah, you're right. It This was like, yeah, five, five years ago. So they've obviously taken a real uh, trajectory. And uh, I'll be honest, because I had the blog, and I thought recruiters like to speak, speak on the phone all day. They like to speak about themselves. Why don't I think it could actually be even more fun if I turn this into a podcast. So I'd already been speaking to recruiters. I'd already been getting them to answer questions and yeah, been getting some good engagement and seeing it's something that people enjoyed. So I decided to turn that into a podcast. So the real reason why I started was, yeah, I got a bit of uh sort of feedback that this type of content is something that recruiters uh, enjoyed. So that gave me confidence. And then also, which is sort of quite common with the decisions that I've made, particularly around my own business, is it's also something I wish I had. It's something I've created that I wish I had when I was in recruitment. Because when I looked for a recruitment podcast, it didn't really exist. I think the only one really that existed was a guy called Roy Ripper, and it was at like ages ago and it was it was mainly um old people talking about recruitment i didn't resonate with me so yeah went on the the journey to start my own uh and i'd say one of the biggest drivers was uh this is something that i wish i had so i'm i was my i was the listener i was the audience yeah perfect so you just went out and created that category in, in some respects really 
Um, the one thing that sort of uh, you only slightly mentioned, but I think is probably the, one of the most important things that we talk about is you said that if the podcast could just help one person or, or the blog in that, in that matter of fact, that one person, um, and really that, you know, there was no commercial intent behind it. It was just, just a pure mission to just help someone out. Um, and I think that's the lot of the issue I see sometimes when people go for the marketing campaigns and, and especially podcasts as well. They, they think, oh, it's going to be a great BT tool or we're going to go and use it to create tons of content and stuff like that. And it just gets too transactional with the audience. And I don't know if you agree with me, but um, I think people see through that, don't they? If you go in there with that mindset immediately. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I just think... Look, it's the, the I think it depends from what shoes we're looking at it at. So for me, it was my time, it was my resource. So that's what it cost. But I think I do think it's fair that if a business is going to invest in marketing, invest in a marketing strategy, invest in podcasting or whatever it is, that it's a fair question to go, how is this going to positively impact our business? I think that's a fair question. Yeah. So yeah. I think you do have to think about that. And I think if you don't think about it like that, then there's a very high chance that you won't be doing it in six, 12, 18 months time. So I do think you have to think about that, but no, you are right. I think if you are using it just as a sales tool or you don't have a clear mission behind it, then yeah, people do see through that. Like there's so much content that we can all consume now. So yeah, I do think that's, that that can come through, but I think it's it's a fair it's a fair way to look at things. Like, how is this going to benefit our business? I think that's fair if you're going to be investing in it. It was different for me because I was investing my own time, and that only cost my time. Yeah, but um, yeah, but it's like a benefit. It comes with it, but it's like this shouldn't be like the driving reason. So it's like mm. you have the mission to make the sector a better place, um, and you can you can stretch it and you can talk to potential clients and things like that, and you do and you can track it and and you can get marketing results from it and it does work and it works with i'm sure for you for many years and many of our our clients they do get true results off it um but yeah it's just removing that sort of commercial mindset initially because you know there will be the commercial part of it but it's like how how do you want to make a difference in the industry that was the value behind this it shouldn't be just self-aggrandizing or or just uh, i want to talk to a bunch of people and this is a way to do it um yeah, I mean, see that you mentioned six to 12 months. I, I like that you've got the kind of, you're thinking that mindset immediately because some people go in there and they will do this for a couple of months. I've seen it happen for a couple of months and they quit. How long do you, did it take for you from the, from the blog all the way into the podcast before you started seeing some real traction and success with, with the podcast? Definitely at least six months. Yeah. Depends what you mean by traction, but yeah, I'd definitely say like six months onwards, it it, it started to build uh, momentum. Mm. But I think what, what might be valuable here is that your, your audience is marketers, recruitment industry, and, and I've given this advice a lot. And like if for me, if I was to start a podcast and I was a recruitment marketer, I was in a recruitment business, I think you can have a strategy behind it that enables you to get more out of it more quickly which can enable you to get more people bought into the project and more people bought into putting more money into it and, and investing into it. So let me just share this because I think that'd be useful. So um, uh, the advice I always give, I need to put this into some sort of document. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's basically, I just like to call it your uh, 
uh, dream first 30 guests. Okay. So I'm a recruitment company. I want to start a podcast. I think I completely agree with you. There needs to be a why behind it. There needs to be a mission behind it. That isn't just, this is going to positively impact our bottom line, 100%. Because it's going to enable you to keep on doing it when you're not getting as much traction as you hoped, right? So it's going to help you continue it. Like in recruitment, when things get hard, you need a strong why to keep showing up, right? So that is important for sure. But we can be smart about it at the same time. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to build a case internally to start a podcast, you need to make it make sense to recruiters, to senior stakeholders on how this can benefit the recruitment business. And this is how I believe it can. So your first 30 guests should be the following. The first 10 should be existing clients, people that you do a bunch of business with. Reason being is twofold. One, it enables you to practice and hone in on your interview skills with people you should have a relationship with. Podcasting is harder than you think, and it is a skill, and it's something that you can get better at. And the only way you're going to get better at it is by doing it. So that's the first thing. The second reason is because you're going to be left with a really cool, unique, different digital asset that your entire team can use when they're going to market to recruit for this existing client that you should be doing multiple, multiple deals with per year. So you're going to be left with a digital asset that the entire recruitment team can use when going to market. The second 10 should be prospects, dream clients. And you literally lead with, hey, Hayden, you may have seen that we've launched a podcast. The reason why we started it is because we want to inspire more people uh, into our industry, the industry you care about, the industry that you've been successful in. How interested would you be in coming on our podcast and contributing? And by the way, a couple of hundred people listen to it and we distribute it to thousands of thousands of people in our industry. So it's probably a good employer brand exercise. You're going to get way more yeses than you think. At least 50% of the people you reach out to, you will get a yes if you approach people in the right way. Um, And guess what? You get them on the call, you build a relationship, and at some point you will get asked, Hayden, what is it that you guys do? What is it that you guys do? And you're going to tell them, this is the problems that we solve. We're a recruitment company. But it's going to enable you to build relationships with people that you would love to work with at some point. Business development. The third 10 should be, uh, I hate the word, but influencers, subject matter experts, people in your industry that people care about, people who they would listen to your podcast because they're on it. We've all been there. So if there's uh, if there's uh, David Goggins on a podcast, I'm going to listen to it. If Jordan Peterson is on a podcast, I'm going to listen to it because I want to listen to Jordan Peterson. I want to listen to his perspective. So have a look at the industry events. Have a look at who have got the biggest brands in our in our niche, in our industry. And can I get them on the podcast? Because if I do, I can piggyback off their brand and it's going to enable you to build traction more quickly with your podcast. So first 10 existing clients, second 10 prospects, dream customers, business development, third 10 brand building, getting your uh, name associated with great people in the industry. If you just focus on getting the first 30 guests and they're sort of in those sort of buckets, I guarantee you, you will get return on investment quicker than you think. Yeah, perfect. And I think that guest letter interview approach is probably one of the most powerful to start with um, because you're never going to get the same amount of traction when you solo it. Um, I love that. Perfect. And, you know, like we do, we stretch the content like you do. Uh, so that will be a, a perfect clip for us to be sharing out on LinkedIn. Thanks for that, Hashem. Um, love that. One thing that I, I would I would add in there as well that we've, we've been seeing. Um, so if you do like a sex specific podcast, some of our clients, um, when they're going out and they're attending the industry events, they'll go and find the guest list before the event happens. And then they'll get those 
those um those speakers on to the podcast just for a build up add the hashtag get a little bit more involved in the event the event usually likes that kind of traction from a podcaster and that kind of gets you in that conversation and anyone's engaging with those big industry events um because you've got some of the guests there that are doing that speaking circuit um works really well and then it's like taking that content down the line as well after the event creating some kind of white paper with the insights that have, the conversations that i've had and then send it out to all the people that you've you know shook, shook hands with all the emails that you've collected um makes for a really nice benefit and get the most out of going to that event so um it's definitely a very uh powerful tool so i i love the, the 31st guests um i think we'll be sharing that we'll be uh using that when we were doing our podcast chats appreciate that um did you have any failures when you was working on the podcast did you have any wobbles or things that you thought wow i should improve that next time yeah it was just getting it was just getting better at interviewing yeah and, and what yeah. would your what would your top tips be for improving interview i know you said time time is a is a great teacher um but is there anything else that people can think about or immediately implement to um pick up their game yeah, so at the start, definitely over-prepare. Yep. Don't feel like you can just wing it because you're good at speaking and stuff like that. Definitely over-prepare at the start um, in the first few episodes. Yeah. Then I'll be honest, it, it's really subtle, but it makes a real difference. And that is asking a question and being silent. It's a lot harder than you think. <laughs> and you don't realize uh, that you do it. So... If you recognize that and get better at asking a question and being quiet, letting the other person speak, that will make a real difference to the listening experience. The other thing is just, I, I'll be honest, I don't listen back to the podcast episodes that I do. I just, I've done so many now, I have a real good grasp after if it was a good one or a bad one. But at the beginning, I did listen to them a lot because I wanted to improve. And by doing that, even though I didn't really enjoy listening to the sound of my voice, <laughs> um, you pick up on things you don't realize that you do. So I'd ask a question, you'd be speaking, and then to make you feel like I'm listening, I'd, I'd either go, yeah, yeah, mm -mm, mm, yeah, like that. And I did that a lot, and I didn't realize I was doing it. And it definitely affected the listening experience. So you have to, yeah, be willing to sort of listen back and improve but i'd probably say if you get really good at asking a question being quiet if you get really good at just being quiet whilst the other person is speaking that's good <laughs> uh, so and, and then also i think the other the other tip that you have to get good at and i think you only get good at this by doing it is you have to control the conversation if you feel the person is really going off on a tangent then you have to reel them back in and that's that's something that you have to get better at and you also have to get good at peeling back the onion. So you've really got to get good at listening, being present, but also being aware of, if I'm listening to this right now, what would my audience love me to ask? Because you don't want someone to listen to your podcast and whilst they're going, uh, listen to it, they're like, oh, I wish he asked that. Oh, I hope he asked this and then you don't ask it. So what you also have to get good at is peeling back the onion, probing, they answer something like, you know, you know, you said that. Tell me a bit more about that. I know my audience would love you to share more about that. They're the sort of things that I'd say would be really useful. Yeah, perfect. I feel like I was about to pop a um, blood vessel there trying to keep quiet. You was talking about all that great stuff there. Um, it's something that I'm 
myself trying to trying to do keep quiet it's so easy just go mm, yeah mm, yeah because you're just so used to it it's just second nature um something that I read in a book about podcasting um not too long ago was to say to the guests like when you're talking I will just be silent so just expect that it's a bit weird but this is this is good for the podcast so it's the kind of like expecting and then that kind of breaks the ice a little bit you mentioned peeling back the onion love that um stress testing sort of the, the guest a little bit have you got any tactics that you use that you feel like that help to do that? Say that again, sorry. So when you peel back the onion, you get the uh, dig deeper into those those sort of statements a little bit. So how, how do you exactly do that? Can you break that down or is that just as it is as it is? No, no, it's a fair question. I think, I think a big part of it does have to... Uh, goes in line with you really understanding your audience and what they want to hear. Mm. I think that is a factor to it. And then it's just about in the moment, you'll just know when someone's given you a high level answer <laughs> or they haven't given you the answer that you hope for. So it's then your job to go, Hayden, I understand that. It's a really good point, but tell me more about this. Or, you know, you mentioned that. Can you just explain a bit more about this? Or I really feel like the people listening to this would under, would love to understand a bit more about that. That's how I'd probably approach it. And you will just be aware of when it happens. And as a listener, you're aware of it. I think we've all been there where we listen to something. It might be an interview or whatever. And you're like, this person has just not really answered the question or it, given a very high level answer. And it's your job as a podcaster interviewer to, yeah, say, look, I understand. Good point, but we need the real stuff. <laughs> we need you to to give us what our listeners want and you have to dig deeper. So yeah, it takes a bit of courage, but your listeners will appreciate you for it. And I do get a lot of feedback on that. Yeah, and I guess that comes with the the confidence of doing it over time. And the longer you do it, obviously the more of the reputation you're gain, but the more confidence and sort of power you're having in the conversation love that perfect have you ever had uh conversations or guests on where you've just not used it and it just hasn't been good enough yeah i'll get uh artists uh i have been asked this before so it's only happened twice but not for those reasons and there's definitely a learning from it but I, yeah, the only time I've recorded an episode and not released it is because they're worried about how it's going to be perceived. So that was my learning. I think, yeah, had there been some conversations where like, I'm not sure how good that was. And it's like, you know what, although I feel like I've got a good grasp of what people want to listen to, it still might be really helpful for one person uh, and maybe not the next, but I think it, that person may really resonate with someone and may not resonate with another person. So I think there's still value there. But yeah, the, the learning that I had was, uh, I do always ask it now, which is, is there anything that you don't want us to speak about? Is there anything you're concerned about that we speak about? But I did record two conversations and then, um, yeah, they didn't want to publish it because of their previous employers and what they'd think. Yeah, perfect. Um, again, I read in a book, I might share the book, um, but it was uh, sometimes, I, I don't know if it would quite work for you, but especially if you're working with I know, like an author that wants to push their book, you start off the conversation before before and say, uh, is there anything that you want to talk about? Like, do you want to kind of sell anything? You kind of get that out of the way. So then 
you're not wrestling the conversation with them trying to sell their book immediately. And you say, look, middle of the podcast, we'll talk, we'll talk about it. We'll give you 10 minutes. And then they, they feel comfortable that you can have a bit of a, a, a good conversation and then give them their time that they want out of the podcast and then move on to something else. Um, instead of it being a battle, I think it was quite a cool piece of advice. Um, yeah, I love that. Um, so in terms of your process when it comes to podcasts, and I'm sure it's a fine art now, do you want to talk through that a little bit more? Yeah, so this is uh, definitely evolved over time because I did everything from the start. I used to record the episode on my mobile, edit it, publish it, do everything. So the process now, which has been fine-tuned over time, is I spend my time uh, recording and building relationships with the with the guests, and then I don't do any of the, the post-production stuff. So uh, first step that I'd always recommend is having a podcast prep call. Uh, 30 minutes long, I always put a bit of a document together. And on that document, it's an edit editable document. I usually uh, use Google Docs. And uh, the purpose of this document is not to give them the questions that I'm going to ask, but to give them talking tracks to expect. So, so, so sorry to interrupt you. So that is um, that's a separate call before the podcast happens. You yeah, you jump in, yeah. You oh, let's have a 30 minute chat. Yeah, because I want to build a relationship with them and build rapport. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry, um, continue. That's all right. So yeah, Google Doc, podcast prep doc, and then I'll I'll do some of my prep then. So I'll look at their profile, look at their journey, and be like, you know what, this is what I think people will be interested in. These are some of the talking tracks I'd love to go through. But the thirty minutes, uh, what I say to them is, look, purpose of this is look for us to get to know each other a bit more, uh, build a bit of a relationship. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page. I want to make sure if there's things that you're really passionate about, things that you really want to speak about, that I understand what those are. I also want to understand the key parts of your journey, key parts and the important parts of your story that you think I should know about so I can jot those down and prepare appropriately. And yeah, we go through all that. And then at the end of the 30 minutes, we've done some prep. I've got a document that we've both added to. And then I can do my uh, preparation then for the actual podcast episode. So I'll do a bit of preparation, think a bit more about the questions that I want to ask. Uh, and then we'll do the actual podcast episode, typically anywhere between 45 to 60 minutes. Once that podcast episode is recorded, I'll get sent the files. Those files then get sent to a uh, audio editor that does an audio version. Those files then get sent to a copywriter and her deliverables are to listen to it, come up with an episode title, write the show notes, and most importantly, come up with 10 to 15 timestamps and snippets and key moments in the conversation. Once I have that, I'll then uh, share that with our video editor. Uh, the video editor will have access to the Google document with all the timestamps. My job then is to go through the timestamps. Me knowing my audience is to pick out three to six snippets that I think would resonate the most with our audience. It would make for great content. Our video editor then looks at those and I write down, I give him the timestamp. Uh, I give them the sort of uh, the title of the snippet. And it's his job then to create a full video version of the podcast to create a, a video thumbnail for the podcast and to create three to six video snippets anywhere between 30 to 90 seconds long, which we can distribute on socials. Um, and then to tie it all together, once I have all that, I then pass over uh, the edited video, uh, the edited video and the edited audio to a VA who then schedules it on our podcast hosting platform and we're rocking and rolling, go live. Perfect. Um, little shameless plug. This is exactly what we do for clients. So if, if you want to do it, get in touch with us. Um, 
couple couple things from that and i think then we'll move i think we've got so much value out of podcasting but then i really want to talk about community and um a little bit about you know training and development and um get more out of your people and efficiency so finding guests you get your first 30 that's great then the well starts to dry up a little bit have you got any any tips for you know going out there and getting more guests or any sort of you know uh probably i mean as a recruiter you're probably great great at sourcing people so um but uh yeah any tips from you I think if you do a good job of like consistently sharing uh, the the clips and the stuff that you get out of the podcast, then you should have typically people reaching out to you. Yeah, I don't I don't know about you, but I uh, I get terrible emails uh, about guests. Obviously, there's a whole bit there's a whole business uh, uh, out business subsection of people that book you podcasts. Guess yeah, I haven't. Yeah, I've, had I haven't a, I've had a few dodgy emails. Yeah, already. <laughs> I haven't. Booked, I haven't booked one person from those emails. So sometimes right. I think I feel like I could do a great business on that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just because these emails are so, it's just so obvious that they haven't actually researched who my audience are. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I think if you do a good job of the uh, what we're speaking about, then you should always have at least co- uh, consistent opportunities of um, people coming to you or might be interested in coming on the podcast. And then if I'm honest, the, the tips are just you you have to put effort into it. So it's sales, it's relationship building, it's bringing up in conversations. So, yeah, I think you just have to be proactive. So one of the non-negotiables that I have each week is to spend at least 30 minutes just continuing to build um, my list of dream guests. Um, and sometimes you might be on LinkedIn, you might be having a conversation and you're like, you might just think in that moment, you might see a post, or you might speak to someone and go, you know what, that person would be great on my podcast. And you just take action there and then. So I do think it's something you have to be proactive with, particularly if you want the best guests and the best people, you have to be proactive. So the, the answer to your question is you have to be proactive itself. So it's relationship building. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, one, one tip that, um, we I got from Gordon at the recruitment network is he uh, he always asks have you got three people that you can recommend to the guest at the end of the day and then they usually go away and have a little think maybe they'll send you one or two of people that probably is not in your network or your immediate network so you're not you're not scraping the barrel for people within your own network you're trying to get people in other networks uh, and then I guess once you start sharing then you start opening up um how how much inbound sort of people wanting to come onto the podcast do you get now is that is that a, a good proportion? Yeah, weekly. Yeah, yeah. But and, yeah, and so, I've been doing it for so long now. Yeah, so no, of course. Like... Yeah, you're in. You're in the. Uh, you're in the end game now, aren't you? <laughs> um. So, so the only last question I've really got is format. So I know that you kind of sit through and have a a bit of a a session with the guest um, beforehand. But do you have a strict format that you kind of well, not strict, but sort of loose format that you stick to, um, in terms of the questions and what you're initially asked? Yeah, so I've experimented with a few things. And again, just thinking about what I like to listen to. For me, I've always felt like I really enjoy the podcast where I feel like I'm a fly on the wall. So I've never wanted it to be scripted. I've always wanted to feel like a conversation that people listening are part of. So I've always, over time, I think my format now, and I might experiment with it again, but basically the only non-negotiable that I have now is I always kick off the uh, podcast with the same question. And then what I experimented with, uh, which was 
taken from the high performance podcast, which I like listening to was like just experimenting with having like a quick fire round. Mm. I might bring that back, but I had a period of doing that. But the the format typically is start with the first question and then we have a conversation. So it is quite, it is quite loose to be fair. Yeah. And I think that's right, isn't it? Because everyone's got their own, you are going to have your new unique questions. Something that I ask a copywriter or an SEO person is going to be completely different to what I ask you as, as a podcast expert. Let's move on to community uh, and what recruitment mentors are doing. Um, I'm a big advocate of, uh, it's a bit of a buzzword, but I think there is some real power in building an audience, a network of people all, all centered around a common goal. And uh, you're doing a great job of doing that. You know, my experience in the recruitment network, you know, we that was something that we tried to achieve. Um, big question. What, what does community mean to you? And you can tell me to F off and say that's that's a stupid buzzword, get a, get a life. Or you can, uh, you might have some thoughts around it. I think it comes back to where we started. I just think we all have communities. If it's our close friends, family, the communities of people that uh, we meet at the the gym, the communities of people that maybe we meet um, when we're, I don't know, out playing sports or whatever. But I think it comes back down to that word collaboration and, and celebrating collaboration. So, yeah, I don't, for me, I think it's sort of what you said, like a community is a community of people that have uh, shared values, have a shared sort of uh, maybe objective or may see the, the world in a similar way. And it's about bringing those people together and you can achieve a lot more together and we can all achieve what we want to achieve together. And we can help each other along the way rather than trying to get there on uh, by ourselves and with our own two feet. So I just think there's a, a lot of power in uh, a collective mission, a collective objective, which is why I think community is powerful. And do, do you feel like you're, you're doing that with recruitment mentors at, at the moment? I feel like, I'll be honest. We've had sort of moments. I feel like I've definitely done a good job of building and continuing to build that with the podcast. Mm. But this is why I speak to you about uh, rebranding <laughs> because <laughs> like I've been on a bit of a journey as you do, you sort of um, change the business model and evolve. And yeah, I think I did focus a lot on community and as we evolve as a business, what I really want us to be known for and famous for is providing exceptional training and development. And community can absolutely be part of that, but that it isn't the sort of leading factor. So the re that's why I'm sort of hesitant when you ask me that. I definitely think the podcast, definitely, because of the events that we do and stuff like that. But in terms of recruitment mentors, the learning platform, I think that's probably something where we've had moments where I feel like the community is really thriving and these things. Uh, but then I think what, why our customers pay us money is because of the the great training that we provide. So, yeah. I, so I feel like we could do a, a better job. I do feel like the, the customers that we partner with, they're, they're probably similar and we do connect them, but I wouldn't say we're, we're, we've done a really exceptional job of building a community, but I would say with the podcast, We've done a pretty good job so far. Yeah, perfect. I think I would just have one more question, and I know 
And I think we will go into the training and development because that is just as important and it plays a huge role for, for anyone really um, to implement their business. Um, it's that whole, it's just taking that providing value and putting it into steroids, isn't it? And um, But it, from your sort of attempts and potentially failures or, or growth, you know, what are some things you would say to, you know, advice points to people that, you know, want to build their own community in, in their sector or their business with their podcast or with, you know, a private Slack channel or just having some in life, in real life meetup? Yeah, I think, again, it comes down to being really clear on the why. Mm. And that's important because, like we've said, community, people like to be part of a community that they're aligned with. So I think you've got to be clear on what is this community about and why would people join it and what the mission is behind it and these things. I think that's really important. And then, and then it, it takes, it's like, you have to be really intentional. It takes a lot of work. It really does. So I think that's the thing that I'd probably leave people with is like, it's going to be harder than you think. Like if you're going to start a Slack community, a WhatsApp group, whatever it may be, it's going to take longer than you think. You're going to have to post an every day, weekly. You're going to have to have a real strategy with that. Uh, and yeah, that that's that's the really hard part, I'd say. Uh, I think some of the, the insights that could be useful, and we've played around with this, is what's going to make your community gain more traction more quickly is having it where people already hang out. That's something that will help. So we did sort of a bunch of surveys to ask people if our community was on this platform, what would you find easiest to use day to day? And, and Slack came out on top, which was interesting. I just think because of the, the sort of hybrid remote working, a lot more recruitment companies now have some sort of internal comms. If it's Microsoft Teams, Slack, whereas before, if you were to say, what do you use for internal comms? They'd be like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> we email, email each other or we speak to each other in the office. So... Yeah, I think you've got to be really intentional. It takes a lot of hard work. I'd really think about some sort of strategy that you're going to use to consistently post and encourage engagement. Uh, if you host it where people already are, that's going to help you have a clear why mission behind it. They're the things that sort of come up for me. Yeah, perfect. I've got an analogy that I, I saw the other day and it was about communities. And it was, if you think about it, like a, people that go to a restaurant every day and they meet and they eat food. Um, it doesn't matter how great the restaurant looks. Um, it's just the table. The table is kind of where the people meet. And then, then if the restaurant closed, would those still people still stay in contact? And if you can actively say, and if you can confidently say yes, then that is a community because you've got a mission and a purpose and a why behind it. Um, and another thing that I saw and going back to your research that, um, you know, you know, Dave Gerhardt, he said, um, you can't expect a community to, to navigate to one place. They'll, they'll be everywhere. They'll be on LinkedIn. They'll be on Twitter, but you just need to be there where they are, those, that particular audience and make the most of that. Let's go on to learning and development then. So does collaboration, you've talked about that before. Does collaboration play a huge role in what you're trying to do with the, with the L and D and the training and development part? Yeah, look, we, we can keep it super short So uh, on, on this because I know this is about marketing and stuff. But basically, the, the problems that we're trying to, to solve is uh, a lot of the recruitment industry are very over-reliant on their people to learn on a job to improve their performance. 
And a lot of people in our industry get little or no training and development or the training and development they do get is inconsistent. Uh, might have just been at the beginning of their uh, journey with a company. And then after that, it was there was no continuous uh, learning or development, or it might be the odd external person once a, a quarter. Uh, and then also the actual training that a lot of people have experienced in our industry uh, can often be described as not current, not modern. Uh, they might find themselves learning from someone that did recruitment 5, 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of recruitment companies uh, rely on uh, the leadership team's time to support people in the business. And they're crucial to, to scale and growth. But um, these leadership uh, individuals and billing managers have got a number to hit. They've got their own performance they need to keep on top of, as well as the three, four, five people underneath them. So find it hard to balance that and uh, whilst also trying to support their team effectively. So we're trying to solve those problems. We, we want to help our customers scale with more confidence. That, that's what it's all about. So they're the problems we're trying to solve. And then how we're trying to solve that is through education, it's through training. And uh, the main difference in terms of uh, the way that we're approaching it is that all of the people that we partner with to deliver our training content, our current top performers, they're people that have got a track record of going from trainee all the way up to director, head of senior principal, maybe start their own business. They're people that are still at the forefront of their markets, doing the job. So they, they're navigating the challenges uh, that our learners are. And what we found is recruiters are just a lot more confident to consistently spend time on their own skill development when they know they're learning from people that have been there and done it. And I'm just a big believer in like you're quoting these different books and these types of things. And why you're drawn to those people is because they've probably done the things that you want to do. And one of the only ways you can shortcut your skill development is by learning from people that have been exactly where you are and they're now where you want to be. <laughs> so we're trying to create that at scale for the recruitment industry. There's so many people that have trodden the path. There's so many people that have been exactly where you are today, struggling with what you're struggling and came out the other side. And we're trying to bring that all in one place so we can all benefit, so we can raise the standards and we can change the perception of the industry. Perfect. And this, this is super interesting to me because what you're doing is, is fantastic and you, you're building something really cool. But I have a lot of conversations with recruitment agency owners and I've seen it happen in the market before. They want to create something themselves that does something like what you're trying to build, but for, for specifically their sector is a good way to upskill people into you know better paying jobs. So that helps you in your bottom line, uh, making things like academies or closed groups and things like that so in this journey that you've made in terms of training and development you know what what are some of your big learnings what have been some of the the big wins that you've made in terms of building out this business model so i think one of the the biggest wins is why our customers love us i'm not going to say everyone loves us all the time it's it's hard <laughs> but one of the main reasons why our customers love us will be the the actual um training and what their team can access is is relevant and current that that's definitely been one of the biggest things so i think that's been one of the biggest lessons is if you what i've really focused on over the last 12 months is if anyone logs into our learning platform Eight, nine times out of 10, they should leave that experience going, you know what, I'm glad I did that. Rather than that was pretty useless. That wasn't really worth my time. I'd rather just carry on just doing the day job. 
So that's what I really focused on. So that's definitely been one of the biggest lessons. Like if you're going to be a successful education or learning company, then the training you provide has got to be good. And yeah, that's easier said than done. Yeah. But how, how do you do that? What do you mean? Going out and find, you know, the sentiment, obviously. And I'm sure you're probably going to say research or something along the lines of that. But, oh, wait, so what, what do you mean by sentiment? Sorry. Just sorry. Finding out the chat, you know, the channel, what people want to read, what, what they want to, what they resonate oh, right. with in terms of the, the course content. Yeah. Well, look, the, one of our values is customer obsessed. So this is where the podcast really helps. And uh, it's something I want to build our company on. Like where we've got to this point has come from customer feedback. So the journey that I've been on to the point where we're now growing the team, trying to scale our offering, really improve it. The whole time has been getting feedback, getting feedback, getting feedback and creating and building something that people shared with us that they'd love and want rather than building something that we think people need and want. So just to paint a bit of color, like at the beginning of this sort of learning platform journey, I directly sold it to recruiters, individuals, and uh, it was then closed. It was only sort of a group of 30 to 35 people and uh, there were founding members and we were going to work with them over a three to four month period to get feedback. What would you like about the platform? What content do you think we're missing? And these types of things. So I think that's a big part of it is like being customer obsessed being curious and understanding what our customers need help with. And you have, we're always going to have to be close to that. But then the big part uh, of how we've been able to create what people want is I'm so close to the market. That's one of the biggest competitive advantages that we have. And that comes back to the podcast and how value, valuable it is. Every single week, I'm interviewing someone and speaking to someone about their journey, what they're struggling with, and these types of things. So that's why I'm just really confident that I'm the best positioned person to build a product like this for this industry, because every single week I'm gathering nuance, I'm growing my network with the right people. And uh, I then have to sort of curate that and make sure that we digest that. But I think it comes down to us really committing to being customer obsessed, being curious and really making sure that we're always asking and finding out what our customers need. And that, that's been, that's been one of the biggest lessons that I've had over the, the last year is uh, embedding and implementing uh, a product like ours and yeah, really investing in processes and how to do that. And that, yeah, that's been one of the biggest lessons. Love that. I think it, what you're saying matches something I bleat on a lot about in meetings and it's uh trademark name pending but it's kind of like a, a life cycle that i see in terms of research and insights but it's like you have your product offering with that you're going to get content out of that and you're going to resonate and you're going to a b test with content marketing things like podcasts and then that's going to start to build an audience and you can see and use that research and then you can kind of see the sentiment and you can talk to people and do questionnaires qualitative research and that kind of research then informs then your product and then your product gets better and then you produce more relevant content and then you create more conversation and it just keeps going around there. So you get yeah. that, that research and you build a better product and you keep going on that. So I think, yeah. Just, just on that really quickly, uh, just a, just a tip on podcasts. So yeah. So also what helped me gain me confidence is so every single time I get a message that says Hisham, listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. Love it. I will reply with thank you. Thank you for supporting it, all of that. And I will say, 
what topics would you love me to ask and cover with future guests? And I've just got this ever-growing document of audience topic requests. And guess what? Whenever I'm thinking, I need to refresh the questions. I need to make sure that I'm talking about the things that people want me to talk about. I'll go back to that document. And it's an ever-evolving, living, breathing document where I have people in real time, as I'm on this journey, saying, I'd love you to talk about this with people. I'm really struggling with this. I need help with this. So yeah, like you said, it's about being curious and you can do some smart things like that, that I'd highly recommend, mm. which enables you to, if it's like I said, as long as you're really close to one of the best things that you can be is like, and you're, you're not, this is a business owner is like, you really need to get in your customer shoes. And if you, if you get good at that, then you've got a chance of building a product or a service that people need and want. Yeah, perfect. Love it. Yeah, it's just getting obsessed, isn't it? About feedback and insights and then actually using that insight um, through things like self-appointed attribution and questionnaires and just little touch points like that that just makes all the difference. Um, one last thing, like a couple couple more things because I know we're going on with the podcast a little bit more and I've got a quick fire question around for you just just taking, taking that format. Um, You've 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 wanted me to ask you a question in a in a sort of like chat before about the importance this year of efficiency, getting more out of your people. I love that question, um, and I think it's really good. So I just want to hear your your uh, your answer to that, and especially you know what's going on with with the future of recruitment. You know where where is this market going, and and marrying those two sort of points together. Yeah. So yeah, I've been speaking to a lot of people, just getting advice for myself. Uh, I'm I'm a business owner. I'm trying to yeah get shit done, make things happen. So yeah, I've been asking people what do they think about the market, what's top of mind this year, and there's definitely a theme. And I'm probably I'm I'm really on board with it, and it makes complete sense. I think let's be honest, it, there will be moments this year that where it may be really challenging for people, and it may already be challenging for people. Uh, although I'm speaking to a lot of people where they haven't had a huge slowdown or these types of things. So I think there will be moments this year over the next 18 months where you'll be able to grab an opportunity with both hands. It might be being able to hire some great people because they got made redundant. It might be being able to pitch to a client that you never was would have been able to because of stuff that happened in the market or whatever. So a lot of people that I've been speaking to, it's about not overextending yourself. And being making sure that when opportunities arise, that you can take them. And in order to take them, you're probably going to need resources. If that's money, if that's people, if that's you, you're going to have to be in a strong position. So I think smart business people, smart um, people this year will be really thinking about how can I get the most out of uh, our people? How can I get most out of what we already have? So I guess to get a bit more practical, I was speaking to one of our customers about this other day, where what a great sort of opportunity to review your processes and look at what's working, what isn't, and just really investing in like understanding what works and how can we get 1% better at that and really committing to that. So they're the things that I continue to hear that are top of mind is like, yeah, like this year, I don't overextend myself. Anything could happen. I want to make sure I've got some good cash reserves. I want to make sure I've got a good financial runway. Uh, and also I want to make sure I've got some good resources where if there are opportunities to be had, that I'm in a position to take them. So I might not go and uh, complete on a big office space 
her this year, or I might hold off on that and like just be smart. And it's like, take a bit of a step back instead of spending money to, to uh, get more. Could you firstly get more out of what you already have uh, rather than just thinking the solution is to spend more to get more. So they're the things, they're the sort of conversations that, that I've been uh, having. So in terms of the market, I just think it's uh, going to come down to, yeah, just, just being smart and doubling down on what great recruiters do, which is building relationships, being consultative, delivering an exceptional service. Uh, and if you do that, you're in a niche uh, and you're focused, there's no reason why you can't survive, but uh, actually thrive uh, this year uh, and beyond. Perfect. I love the um, the comment about the 1% better. There's something we do. So for example, we went out filming the other day and um, we're like, how do we how do we do 1% better every time we do a, a job to continually improve? So, so our, our, um, our new thing we're going to come up is doing some kind of like icebreaker with the client before we sit down, get them asked stupid questions, make them laugh, stuff so they get a bit more relaxed. Um, and then the other thing that we love to do as well um, is taken from the recruitment network and it's... Uh, it's the W3, what went well, what didn't go well, what could go better next time for every project we work with. And it's that incremental gains, isn't it? Then just makes a, a very great product, product, uh, service or, or whatever. One one thing that I'm constantly racking in my mind, I don't know if it's the same with you, but it's it's the the thought of becoming recession proof. So final sort of big question before we go into quick question round. From your perspective, what can recruiters do to become recession proof over the next few years? recession proof i think it's the things that i just mentioned if i'm honest yeah yeah uh, yeah i think i can see that yeah i think yeah being in a niche being focused really thinking about how you can improve your service by one percent really committing to delivering an exceptional level of service uh trying to sort of work smart have an actual strategy on how you're going to get more out of your existing clients, how you're going to land those dream clients, not just thinking, right, let's just, let's just put more volume in, let's put more volume in and we'll get more out. Uh, and then a big part of being recession proof is then uh mindset as well. Yeah, so perfect. investing in your mindset, really understanding that the best thing that you can do is focus on what you can control. And yeah, one of the, the the main reasons you'll sort of survive and not only thrive in a recession proof is going to come down to it, to your mindset. So I think the other part is, yeah, how can I develop more of a positive mindset? What habits do I need to sort of really work hard on implementing that is going to enable me to, yeah, perform at the best I can, despite being knocked back, rejected that I might experience. Um, but yeah, they're the things that sort of uh, come up for me. Yeah, perfect. Love it. I was at a talk. So th this one's for the marketers that are listening. Um, I was at a talk the other day and um, we was talking about this this subject, how to come recession proof. And one of the speakers had um, data from the great um, recession back in the day, as well as the the, um, the the even the even greater one back in the Americans. Um, I can't remember the name of it now, back in the 1920s. Um, but it, it was it was a stat saying that the companies that got rid of their marketing they actually did worse through the recession because it's always one of those things you think oh let's just cut out marketing let's get rid of the marketing exec let's get rid of the marketing agency but doing that can actually be um the the death shot really to um to where your business is going and marketing still plays a huge role 
uh, and it still will. Um, and it all in these tough times that marketing will be even even more powerful if done right and smart. Um, just some uh, quick fire questions at the end. I've changed up this format. I used to ask people what their favourite cereal was, um, but everyone just told me they didn't like cereal, so I've stopped asking oh, that. No, one. Cereal's unreal. <laughs> um, so, what's, what's your favourite cereal then? My favourite cereal. Yeah. I've had sort of moments, but cereal was unreal uh, when I was younger. And sometimes I have moments where all I want is a bowl of cereal. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, I was addicted to Honey Nut Cheerios. Oh, yeah. They were unreal. And then I'd also I'd say close second, because I remember having many, many a bowl, was Golden Nuggets. Yeah, that's that's mine. <laughs> golden Nuggets. Oh, I, mean, I always get a box at Christmas as a little treat. <laughs> really? Yeah, there's, yeah, you should go. If you love cereal, then have you been to the cereal bar in London? It's in, I have not. It's in no. no, I've always wanted to go because I'm like, a, yeah, I used to like cereal quite a lot. Um, have you been then? Is it good? It's not as good as you'd think. No, I, I can. I, that's <laughs> it's probably worth, it's, worth, it's worth experiencing though. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, nah, love, love. But now, to be fair, sometimes I just crave. I'll just go. It sounds like more boring, but if I, it'd be like a bowl of granola. But I still, it's cereal. It's banging. Yeah, yeah, it's banging. Um, best productivity technique methods. You know, how do you stay productive? You're a busy guy. Podcasts, recruitment mentors. I'm sure, you're high, pretty much pretty high performing. Planning your day, uh, bef- uh, planning your day the day before. Yeah, and do, do you block you it do. out? Do you, do you sort of block out times in your diary to work on jobs? I do, and look, I'd be a lot. I'd be lying if like every single time I I do them. But I think if I before I leave the, if before I leave the office, I think about uh, the following day, uh, what what has to be done, the non-negotiables. Might even put some blocks in the diary. If I do that then there's just way more chance that I'm going to have a day where I'm uh, more productive than not productive. Yeah, perfect. Um, what's your favourite podcast? I know you said you're quite you're quite into your podcasts and you did mention a few names, but we should hands right, down. Right now, one. right now, as the diary CEO, I think just the variety of guests is, is mega. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's just gone crazy. I used to listen to Stephen back when he was... Uh, Back when he was just doing his social chain podcast, I was listening to that. Um, and now look, look where he's got to. It's just unreal. It's the power of podcasting, isn't it, really? Mm. If you think about it, best use case. Um, what companies do you think marketing does marketing the best? I saw this. I'm like, I struggled with it. I'm not going to lie. Or, or a strong brand. Um, something you think is quite cool. We've had mentions like Thursday and things like that. Yeah, I understand why people would say um, Thursday. Do you know what I'm gonna say? Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Paddy Power. Yeah, I just feel like anytime I watch one of their adverts or whatever, like it's just fun. Like they're like in, they're actually enjoyable. Like I fucking hate adverts. Like I literally I pay for Channel Four Premium. I pay for ITV Premium because I and I pay for YouTube Premium because I do not want to sit there and fucking sit for an advert. <laughs> <laughs> so like if i watch the football and paddy power advert comes on like i find myself going you know what that was actually quite fun to watch so yeah that's what comes up for me yeah i love it yeah that's great um and last last question if you could live anywhere else where would it be yeah i did think about this i'd love to experience uh living in uh lisbon uh, went there last year, loved it. It was really cool. Really enjoyed the vibe. And 
Yeah, nice. The um, digital nomad life is not one for you anymore, is it? Because now you've got a dog. You're tied, you're tied to home. <laughs> I'll be honest, that never really appealed to me. I feel like uh, the digital nomad life uh, looks way more better than Instagram than it actually is. Yeah. That's just, my per- that's just my personal opinion. I've seen some posts on LinkedIn where people have gone, yeah, I'm going to go and try. I'm going to do it for a few months. And they come back and think, they're, they're like, oh, I was less, less productive. It wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy that. I'm glad to be back at the office kind of thing. So it's very interesting. Um, but thank you, Hishem. Some really good nuggets in there. Um, some really good takeaways. I really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. All right, thanks for the opportunity. No, perfect. Cheers. Thanks, mate.